right, Gunnar. I hope you had a good Thanksgiving. You know, I had a great Thanksgiving. Uh, had a little Friendsgiving. Um, all, oh. the, all of the uh, the displaced person, the internally displaced persons here in Austin, uh, about three or four families got together at a friend's house. Um, mm-hmm. Got all the kids to play together. Yeah, it was fun. It was good. Nice. Very laid nice. back. What else is what else is going on? Uh, we're in the middle of planning for our next fiscal year, and so now in my new at position. Home? Or <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, both. Yeah, the new fiscal. Yeah, the new. <laughs> or, or how you, how you do in the fiscal year depends on how the year your home planning goes. I it's guess. all connected. It's all connected. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And so that means uh, I used to be the recipient of the planning, and now I am uh, part of the team that creates the planning, uh, mm-hmm. which means. Uh, I've been living inside spreadsheets for like the past two weeks. Um, so if it's not in columns and rows, then I don't understand what you're talking about. So in fact, wow. I'm here, I'm looking at our show notes and it looks like a, it looks like a whole bunch of words on a page and I don't mm-hmm. know how to sum them up. I don't know how to find yes. their average. Uh, this, yeah. so this might be a little challenging. This might be a little yeah. challenging for me. Anyway, how are you doing? Good, good, good. A lot of, a lot of raspberry Pi stuff going on. Mm-hmm. Um, so we found out that uh, that Lauren is in a book now. Ooh, yeah, yeah. So um, just in time for Christmas, um, there's the <laughs> official Raspberry Pi projects book um, that's done by the Raspberry Pi Foundation, and if it's a free PDF download, if you check it out, um, or you could buy a copy. Um, you could buy it off their website, or it'll also be at Barnes and Noble uh, pretty soon, I guess. Cool. Um, but if you turn to page 18, uh, there's a whole write up on her. Oh, awesome! That's really great. Yeah. Yeah, let's stick that on your resume. Yeah, yeah, it's like well, I've just, I'm waiting for her to go to the the college interviews and just like drops that on the desk and start, <laughs> you know, and just like yeah, it's awesome. But I was uh, over the th- speaking of Thanksgiving over the break, I was playing with. Uh, I saw there's a article about how to have turn a Raspberry Pi into an FM transmitter. Like you remember Mr. Microphone from back in the day. I do. I do. Actually, when you said turn into an FM transmitter, I was thinking about the little Radio Shack electronics lab, you know, with the mm-hmm. springs oh, right. and the wires that you could wire. Yeah, 10 and 101. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Kit. Yep, uh-huh. yep, yep, yep. This is even easier than that. Um, so this is so all you do is you get a Raspberry Pi. Um, you install this little executable and it's you get um, a little uh, the jumper wires, you know, for breadboards. You right. put that on GPIO pin four. And then you you bring up a shell, and then you just say uh, it's like Pi FM space, and then you type in the frequency like eighty eight point one or whatever um, space, and then the wave file that you want to play. You hit return. You go over to your FM radio, tune it to eighty eight point one or whatever you did on the command line, and it would play that audio. Cool. That's great. Yeah, using just a little little wire, and then um, but then the project I put a thing in the show notes, but it shows you how to connect a uh, a microphone to it and all that. So you could have all kind of funs like uh, driving people crazy. And <laughs> But then there's a, did you see the Raspberry Pi Zero is out? I did. I did. It doesn't cost zero though, but it costs like five bucks, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's five bucks. It's about the size of what the, like a memory dim pretty much. Right. Um, you know, like a, like a piece of gum, um, like a gum, a stick of gum. And uh, um, I, I'm, want to get one for christmas just to have it and play with it and all that but you know i think that it you know i don't think it's the kind of thing that you could just hand to somebody uh, like to a kid at christmas i don't think they would know what to do with it compared to like a raspberry pi where you know it has like normal outputs for like a network and hdmi and all that you got to have all kind of adapters and stuff and i see there was yeah so i think for like if you wanted to do like electronics hacking and like embedded stuff and you know it's more of a hacker kind of thing as opposed to like a kid's education thing and uh there's somebody on uh, i think it was hackaday they were writing about how they're they're like poo-pooing it uh saying that oh this is no good because this doesn't teach kids anything but i can imagine when you know i would say for like a 10 year old kid probably not but for like uh a teenager that is getting into electronics and they're starting to solder and stuff like that. So like I I would say on that Arduino continuum or on that track, um, it could be pretty compelling for them. Yeah. It sounds like it's going to make for a much, much more interesting Halloween next year. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Looking forward to that. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. And, oh, there, and this is an interesting security thing. Speaking of raspberry Pis, um, there was, uh, there's a bug in, in the security flaw in the raspberry Pis uh, that weakens SSH security. So, like, you know when you 
install uh, SSHD, right? Mm-hmm. Or uh, I'm sorry, not yeah, SSHD, the SSH server bits, right? Um, you got to have a host private key for that, and then that gets generated, and it's based upon the entropy pool that is inside your computer, mm-hmm. and you know, and so whenever you're doing like a normal Linux installation. Um, that entropy pool is built up while you're installing all the bits and everything. And then once everything's all laid down, you have this nice random pool of randomness that you could dip from uh, whenever you go through the first boot sequence and you start running SSHD and it could generate a nice, uh, very random uh, private key. But the problem they found with Raspberry Pis is that you don't install the operating system on a Raspberry Pi. What you do is you download a disk image and then you DD it to a... Uh, oh, yes. Okay. Yeah. And then so first boot pretty much happens right away, and that's when you're... And, and that's even the point, too, where you may not even have the network started yet, and so you're not connected to an NTP time server or anything. So it's a very highly repeatable thing, so that it makes the SSH keys very, very guessable. Right, right. This is this is this. We had a similar problem in the early days of virtualization when mm-hmm. uh, you would get, you know, you'd have one machine which had stockpiled X amount of entropy, but now suddenly you, it's hosting sixteen other machines, all of which are slurping up the host machine's entropy, and you know things get things get bad, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's now. Is it? I get the sense though that that entropy attack is it's theoretical. Like, is that actually? Ex- Exploitable? In other words, like, is it trivially exploitable, or do you have to be like a state actor to take advantage of an entropy starvation dingus? I, my guess is that it's it's definitely possible because it's it's like because the Raspberry Pis are like that whole thing is very very repeatable as far as the um, you know when you know you boot it up, there's not too much random stuff going on. You know the the hardware is all identical. Um, so my my guess is that. In a, it, it, you know, it's not like you need to like stick it on like, um, you know, a cluster of, of systems to like you're breaking uh, a private key natively. It's mm-hmm. it's, I think it would be easier than that. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Uh, anyway, but that's that was just the that was just the intro. We got a ton more stuff to talk about this week, right, Dave? Yes. Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. Um, so what we got? Huh, credit card vulnerabilities. Uh, just in time for the Christmas shopping season. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so we've got some horror there. Um, Dell, uh, is they, they have some vulnerabilities. And then uh, we're going to debate whether programmers are engineers. Oh, I like this one. I love this conversation, so I'm looking forward to that. Uh, so, Dave, if, uh, if folks want to, uh, to uh, find a link for the, uh, for the Raspberry Pi Zero, or what is it? Mm-hmm. Raspberry, is that it? That's right. Yeah, that's okay. right. Raspberry, mm-hmm. like Coke Zero? Okay. So The, it, the link to buy Lauren's book. And the link to buy Lauren's book, if folks want. Which she gets that. no money for. Yeah. <laughs> uh, where should go? Where, where should folks go to give Lauren no money? Yeah, they should go to uh, dgshow.org. So D's and Dave, G's and Gunner Show.org. Nice on the uh, on the cutting room floor this week. Uh, we got <laughs> we got some advice on uh, all day hash browns. Uh, mm-hmm. How to find them? Yep, yep. Uh, a cute uh, cute little vine from uh, some. The Swedish kids who uh, know some pretty sweet card tricks. That one's special mm-hmm. for Uzama. And uh, and then Dave, you found this uh, knife wielding robot tentacle that you can actually build at home. Yep, it's uh, Arduino powered. So um, if you don't have your uh, Pi Zero yet, you could dust off a uh, Arduino and, and build your uh, tentacle right away. And and uh, when you go uh, traveling over the Christmas holiday, show it to your uh, TSA friends. It's <laughs> awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, Dave, you heard that uh, Google Music is now expanding into podcasts, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so before we started recording, I went up and uh, you reminded me that I needed to get DG Show in there, of course, because we need to make DG Show available to as many people as possible. And uh, I uploaded the the RSS feed in there, and uh, then Google gave me an error back, Dave. Mm-hmm. And uh, can you guess what the error was? It was too. The logo was too awesome. The logo was too awesome. Our logo yeah. was uh, our longstanding uh, Creative Commons logo uh, is not sufficiently uh, mundane for uh, for the for the folks at Google. So, uh, DG Show fans, we need a new logo. We need yes. a new logo, and neither of us are particularly inclined to, to make one. We're wondering if anybody out there in the uh, in the DG Show fan club uh, can uh, can give us a give us an idea for a new logo, um, so mm-hmm. we can make the uh, Google Play folks happy. Yeah, yeah, we really do because it, it's a kind. Of, I I don't have an artistic 
bone in my body when it comes to art and drawing and stuff. So if anybody has some good tips uh, or, or they know, know a guy or, or a gal uh, that can draw or, or can give us some ideas, I, 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 we both really appreciate it. Yeah, so Gunnar, speaking of uh, knife-wielding uh, uh, tentacles and uh, things like that, um, you wouldn't believe there's there's a way that you can defeat uh, Chip and Signature um, using an Arduino. And the way you could do that is, um, so you get this Arduino, um, you can actually use it to program it um, to generate the magnetic field that simulates a magnetic stripe swipe and so like whenever, you know, so, uh, there's a video that's like six minutes long. It's pretty cool. It, where they, uh, Sammy Kumar, he, he shows how he puts some magnetic, uh, uh, some metal shavings on a credit card and shows how there's where the magnetic field is. And so basically you could program the Arduino to, to simulate the field of, of use, uh, having the, the zeros and ones come out of the card based upon, uh, how it comes out. And then, um, but what's really sad is how, the, the the chip and signature uh, functionality works is that um, what happens is the card itself tells the card reader whether uh, the whether a chip is present inside the card and so this is really bad right so so the thing here is that so the card is going to say so you could actually so if somebody steals a credit card number um, and you could you could clone the credit card you could have the cloned credit card say put like a zero for where um, it says you know the cart the chip is present, and so uh, whenever you do that, um, then you could just do the so um, you do the scan and the scan will um, uh, read the card and it'll say that oh well hey there's there's no chip present so I, that's going to be good enough and I'll I'll just keep on going with that and so they were able to to totally defeat that. Um, and then the next thing that they had was that they showed how, like, if you get your credit card stolen and then they give you a new one, um, he figured out the algorithm to predict what the next credit card number would be. So if somebody steals your American Express card, um, he could take that card number um, and generate what and predict what the next card number would be. And, and, uh, and it would be the next couple cards. And I guess he alerted American, American Express and then... Uh, uh, they uh, fixed the problem there. Jeez, I you know um, I, I recently got a chip uh, like a, my American Express. I recently got a mm -hmm. chip for it, and uh, I guess the cutover hasn't happened yet um, because there's still a whole lot of vendors who want me to use the magnetic stripe. Um, yeah, I guess knowing this, and and I guess we knew that this was vulnerable. That's the whole reason why we moved to the chip system, right? Is you know at some point you're gonna not want to ever swipe the card uh, for right. security reasons, right? Um, yeah. You know what I learned about the chip thing is one of the benefits of the chip is that it actually generates some kind of, I guess it's some kind of hash or whatever, right. um, so that your number is never actually transmitted to the uh, to the merchant. Um, yeah, it, I, it's I, probably like a cryptographically, like a cryptographic signature, like a PKI sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, something like that. And so... Um, so that's like a fun. key exchange. Yeah. And then, and so, and so, and as far as the credit card number goes, so how do I protect myself against that? Well... Uh, it seems like the only way to really protect yourself on the on the credit card number front is uh, to use an intermediary like Google or PayPal or you know Apple Pay or whatever. Because mm -hmm. there, I just noticed on I started using uh, Google Pay because I'm using my fancy new Android, you know, to uh, mm -hmm. to pay for stuff at Home Depot and whatnot. Um, and over, and when that works, it works great. Uh, and I noticed that on the receipts, it shows up as a Discover card. Hmm. And it's doing, and as far as I can tell, it's generating a fake credit card number um, that I guess is like a one-time use or something. I, I'm not quite sure how it works, but there you have it. Uh, huh. So that I thought that was a that was a pretty clever hack. Yeah, yeah, and I, I know that like the credit card companies in the past used to they would let you generate like vendor-specific credit card numbers or one-time credit card numbers. So that mm -hmm. that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thought that was pretty great. Yeah, I wonder if you would be able to use uh, your. Uh, uh, Google Pay in a uh, Hilton. Well, apparently they just had to do a bunch of upgrades, so maybe you can. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. They had they had to do some upgrades. So, um, yeah. So uh, Hilton's point of sale uh, system uh, got compromised, and and so they're celebrating by giving uh, all kind of people uh, free credit reporting. I tell you, man, I, I I'll never have to pay for credit reporting ever again. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I, this is as far as, you know, this is probably now a, like a privilege of citizenship is just getting credit mm-hmm. card reporting, right? <laughs> it's just... Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah, and what's funny is it like, if you look at the press release that they did, um, it says Hilton Worldwide has identified and taken action to eradicate unauthorized malware that targeted payment card information and some point of sale systems. <laughs> unauthorized malware. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. All right. <laughs> yeah so you don't want to be too rash and and uh you know just just get the just get the let's just start with the unauthorized malware first you know yeah yeah, yeah. uh okay well we'll put a link in the show notes to uh where folks can go to uh learn more about this uh this this new vulnerability of theirs yeah yeah and uh it, there's a link uh we'll put in there too for um it's hilton worldwide slash guest update um to sh- to uh so you could also get your one year of credit reporting and i'm pretty certain i stayed there um but uh but oh well i signed up why not yeah well so well you know you know what you could do is uh just take all your business to starwood take all your business to starwood i was just gonna say because uh (laughs) and then and then get real disappointed because uh starwood got got knackered too right yep Yep. Yeah. You know, we we were what last episode we were singing the praises of them merging with Marriott, and I yeah. I wonder if this came out before they Marriott knew about it before the merger or not. I, I don't know, um, but that would be fun. So yeah, fifty four of its hotels were were hit with malware um, to collect uh, debit and credit card data uh, with names, uh, numbers, security codes, and expiration dates, and they targeted uh, the point of sale systems in the restaurants and gift shops and. Uh, um, and so, yeah, that, that is pretty much it there. Yikes. I, uh, so Dave, are you, are you a listener to the slate money podcast? No, no, it's good. It's very good. Yep. It's, it's, it's a nice supplement. If you're a planet money listener, you should, you should okay. definitely check out the slate money podcast. Their, uh, their most recent one, uh, talks about the Starwood and Marriott merger. And they brought up something that hadn't really occurred to me, which was, um, Starwood uh, is recognized as just a better level of service kind of all around, right? Like the Starwood mm-hmm. hotels are just uniformly better than the Marriott ones, which are much more pedestrian. And so in a very American the, Airlines way, they're going to, Marriott's going to neutralize that or? Yeah. Well, so, the, so that was the one, in, that was one kind of implication, but the other one, yeah. which hadn't occurred to me was how they're going to reconcile the, uh, the, the uh, rewards programs on the two. Mm-hmm. And, it was a deep discussion of the economics of the rewards programs. And I I won't like kind of recount it all here, but um, if you are at all interested in the economics of these reward programs, this like multi-trillion dollar kind of shadow economy that's running uh, the, the show was fascinating. It was great. Um, I recommend everybody go check it out. Yeah. Well, and my guess is the uh, Starwood one is more generous. The Starwood one. uh, Yeah. Is in fact, uh, famously the Starwood one is more generous. There's the, consistently like the number one rewards card is an american express starwood matchup thing and uh or maybe it's a marriott one of them anyway the uh um and they were talking about like the like that i think it's marriott actually spends or starwood i'm sorry starwood spends hundreds of millions of dollars a year and spends Mm -hmm. them with american express um to buy like to or american express uses a spent hundreds of millions of dollars with starwood in order to buy the starwoods points to reward people with i mean just the, like i said there's this whole economy running behind all these rewards programs which was anyway it was super interesting i liked it yeah um, well i'm i'm surprised there's no tax on stuff like that yet like whenever you use points and stuff yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm surprised by that too. I'm surprised by that too. Uh, so one thing uh, now that we know that I've teased it, I'll, I'll, I'll give folks, uh, uh, I'll give folks one thing to take away from it, which was uh, something that had never occurred to me. But um, just like the Fed, the rewards programs can print as much money as they like, and mm-hmm. so and there is no deflationary pressure on them, and so you are heavily incented to spend the rewards points as quickly as possible. There's no point in stockpiling them. Which had never, right. I, I had never really thought about that, but actually that's true. Like they will only go down in value. Yeah, you're not going to get interest on them sitting there. And, yeah, exactly. And, yeah, you yeah. know they're they you know the the hotels and airlines are are notorious for changing the rules to make it less attractive or you know upping the number of points per stay and stuff like that. So yeah, you might smoke them if you got them, I guess. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. The, anyway, uh, back, back to sorry, I, I distracted us from the from this this great uh, the 
point of sale vulnerability thread we had going. Oh, what's the what's the? Do we have another one? Well, I think what what's what is the right way to do it is like at the gas pump, right? When they put a uh-huh. sticker on on the gas pump, and then you you know that somebody put a sticker there, so it has to be safe because there's a sticker there. <laughs> yep. Yep. And you know what? If you can't, you know, if a sticker isn't there, you could put there, put one there yourself. <laughs> you can get a roll of five hundred of them for sixty nine dollars, <laughs> and uh, and and it's actually they're not like counterfeit ones. They are they you can buy them directly from the National Association for Convenience and Fuel Retailing. Um, so the same gas station that. Um, so like they have special ones for like, like, uh, you know, Shell, uh, Chevron, Texaco and all those guys, they have special branded ones that, that they put on there. Um, but, um, you know, do, do people really know, uh, whether the, you know, does a sticker there, like if you pull up to a gas pump and somebody broke the sticker, would you still get gas or not? I wouldn't even, I, I, that, that is a question I wouldn't even ask myself. You would get gas, right? Oh yeah, yeah, of course. Like I would, even after we have this conversation, I'm I am positive I am not going to stay aware enough to uh, to pay attention. Yeah, and and even like in this article, they talk about um, you know people would go in and say, "Oh my gosh, the sticker's uh, broken" or whatever, and and the gas station attendant is like, "What do you want me to do about it? I don't know." Then don't get gas, and you know, and so it's like they don't even know what to do if if the sticker breaks. And what would stop, uh, you know, just teenage kids from running around and just breaking the sticker? Yeah, yep, yep. Because you know kids will do that. <laughs> they will. They will. Yeah. Kids. Um, it's, just a, it's just a poorly thought through uh, preventative measure. It's just like, it's just not, it's a bad idea badly executed, it seems like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's, and these skimmers are getting smaller and smaller. It's, it's like pretty, pretty tough. You know, it's mm-hmm. and I, I think the solution is, is like what you're getting at, like the uh, the Apple Pay, Android Pay, where you could do a one time credit card number um, and and that's it. You know, I, I, that's yeah. probably the best way to defeat it. Yeah. And I'm looking forward to in a year's time, we're going to be hearing about the first man in the middle attack on the uh, on those NFC enabled uh, credit cards or those uh, those chip cards. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but with any of those things, like any of the point of sale services, you know, what you want to do is just use the software that was shipped from the the factory, right? That's right. That's right. Because you know that the people who who put the software on the hardware have already done all the due diligence, and they are not going to. It's bad business. They're not going to imperil their customer base, right? And so you can you can absolutely trust them, uh, unless that manufacturer is uh, Dell. Yes. Yeah. So this isn't as bad as, you know, people were like, oh my gosh, this is another super fish with, remember when Lenovo put uh, like all kind of tracking stuff and it was just like crapware that somebody paid to uh, Lenovo to put on there. Um, and then they make money off of it for tracking people. But, um, Dell actually, uh, put what, and so this is kind of bad where they actually put a, um, a certificate, um, on, all the laptops that got installed. Um, and for their convenience, not only did they put the public key on there, they put the private key on there as well. <laughs> for convenience. For convenience. Yeah, yeah. And then, so this, so is from the, the, this is from the uh, National Association for Convenience and Fuel Retailing uh, playbook. It's like, like, right, right. <laughs> yeah, so then, uh, so, you know, so what can happen is like, like on Windows, like you have a centralized certificate store. Um, that has all the all the certificates for like all the different certificate authorities, and so um, the one that is one of the ones that's pre-installed there is this this Dell one that is self-signed and it's stuck in there, and they also put the private key in there, and so um, you know so what people could do is that they could you know go in and you know generate certificates and you know use that to take over um, uh, you know do, to do man in the middle attacks with uh, with Dell computers. <laughs> But it's great. It's great. you know what? Is that, there was, uh-huh. and, but you would think that that you would have, like, if I were an IT organization, like, like seriously though, when you buy computers from a manufacturer, probably at least even when I buy a computer, the first thing I do is I blow it away and I install Linux on it, at least Linux. But 
you would think they would have an image of a standard corporate standard build that they would have that is blessed and then they would lay it down, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's kind of standard practice anyway, right? Yeah, uh, standard practice except for the water treatment facility, uh, uh, their SCADA system in uh, a city in Kentucky. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, boy. Oh, yeah. boy. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well. But to Dell's credit, they, they did respond very, very quickly. And then um, they, um, they, they, I think they had an initial position to uh, discourage people from uninstalling it to actually uninstalling it. And then Microsoft has part of their, was it malicious software removal toolkit? Uh, one, uh-huh. of the, one of the uh, removers is for that Dell certificate. Okay, well that makes sense. I, it, this is this is actually an, we've talked about this many times before, but like PKI is hard to do, and it's also a pretty brittle system, and this is like a great example of that. And so, I mean, we don't have a better answer than PKI right now, but um, yeah. PKI is basically a tire fire. I mean, it's it's just it's bad. It's bad. <laughs> it's just well, it's it's really brittle when you ship the private key with every system. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, somebody ought oh, to just boy. call the police, right? Yeah, yeah, because those well, police famously are are good at security, uh, mm-hmm. except for their body cams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, there was um, there was a uh, uh, there's a, a security investigator. They ordered they wanted to do I guess I don't know penetration testing or whatever of some uh, uh, body cameras, and they came in and uh, the they were preloaded with a conficker worm. <laughs> for convenience <laughs> yeah yeah so the the conficker worm remember that those from back in uh um 2008 where uh yeah. it enslaved uh as many as 15 uh, million windows pcs so it's this this botnet of going around inf- infecting machines and um and it was it just took forever to uh and it would just you would it was just whack-a-mole you would kill it and it would just uh do other uh you know infect other systems and and keep morphing and and, and all that so it's pretty scary yeah it's just uh, this is uh, like for all the hype around internet of things this is uh man this is just bad news like this is <laughs> this doesn't this doesn't bode well for my refrigerator or my tv or anything like that yep yeah, yeah, and it's it's like you don't even want to watch this stuff on TV anymore. Like you don't want to watch the news, right? <laughs> right, certainly not on a Vizio TV. Right, right. So they, they they're also in the uh, the doghouse this week. So um, they also uh, um, so one of the things, a whole bunch of things that they're doing. So with the Vizio TVs, one of the things that they were doing was um, they have a viewer enhancement. Uh, feature that I guess will track your viewing habits and then send that back to this mothership that will track them for you um, to to give you I guess an optimized ad experience I guess for whatever reason <laughs> and so uh-huh. yeah so what it does is um, what it it will take like a fingerprint of random of, of a certain pattern of pixels on your screen and based upon those pixels they could decode whether Oh, that that arrangement is from, uh, you know, House of Cards, or it's from this particular baseball game, or something like that. And it can it can detect all that stuff, and it it sends it back to um, the website uh, tvinteractive.tv um, at once a second. Whoa, yeah, that is uh, yeah. that sounds like a ton of data. Yeah, well, it's it's not like the whole screen, but it was. It's, oh no, I mean, um, but I mean, like in the aggregate, like every yeah. I'm thinking about like every every, every Vizio TV world, somewhere yeah, there's a somewhere there's a hard drive. Stuff. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yikes. Yeah, yeah, and um, and that that guess what? Uh, that 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 connection um, was um, that connection back to TV Interactive TV. Guess what it was? Uh, was it was it encrypted? It was almost certainly not encrypted. It was encrypted using oh, a self-signed, okay. yeah, using a self-signed certificate, and they were nice <laughs> enough to leave the private key on the TV set. <laughs> Come on! Come on! Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, it was, yeah, so it was, it's like they were able to basically decode it, and then from there, they were able to uh, reverse engineer the file system on the TV and, and 
that do man-in-the-middle attacks and have all kind of things. And But the good news is that uh, Vizio, uh, they, they issued a patch, uh, assuming people connect their TVs to the Internet. And um, and also, the, the other thing is that Vizio, that feature, is turned on by default. Um, they don't ask okay. you. It's it's like on by default. And I, I forget if this is the one where it's whether you even turned it off or not, it would still do it. It would still do the tracking. Man, the robots are winning, Dave. The robots mm-hmm. are winning. Uh, do you have any good news? Yeah. So, well, this is this is going to be interesting. I'd love your thoughts on this. Um, so, Gmail, they're going to start warning users when emails arrive under over unencrypted connections. There, there's a lot in there to unpack. Um, yeah. So, so base. So, the way I understand this is that you know uh, SMTP uh, the was simple mail transport protocol it originally was never encrypted, right? And so right. it wasn't until recent years that you could set things up to be like from, uh, so if I email something from say like, I don't know, Gmail to Yahoo mail or something, hopefully the, the, the connection transport connecting the mail servers is encrypted from end to end. And so even though my email message isn't encrypted, it's at least going through an encrypted tunnel, but there is the chance that, um, that you could be going through an SMTP server that may not have encryption along the way, um, and or maybe the originating server may not be doing SMTP. And so what will happen is you would get an email in your Gmail box that would say that would almost have like a, like you know how you have like the the lock that's broken or whatever icon in your address bar. It would kind of look like that, saying that uh, this is coming from an un, you know an unvalidated source. Um, but my question to you is. Is that a good thing or a bad thing, or is that going to freak out John Q. Public unnecessarily, or is this going to numb people into not just ignoring these sort of things, or what do you think is going to happen? I think that it is good to the extent that people will pay attention to it. So actually, there's a, there's a nice parallel here between this and the uh, the tamper stickers on the, uh, uh, the on the gas pumps. station on the gas pumps, right? Um, because uh, if Ninety percent of email is encrypted, and ten percent is not encrypted. Um, then you know, one in ten emails is unencrypted, and I'm gonna. You know, I, I there's a chance that I will notice if it's if it's good or not. But if like, but if a, most email is unencrypted, which I suspect is probably the case, um, mm-hmm. then like, then I'm just gonna be inured to it. Like it's it doesn't matter to me. The second thing I had was, what do I do with that? Like, why mm-hmm. do I care? Like it's mm-hmm. it, it being encrypted has nothing to do with like the authenticity of the sender right um and so so there's kind of like a so what there um like oh okay well it's not something you know, like this this message wasn't encrypted what, what does that mean i don't trust the contents does that mean that it was surveilled it doesn't actually tell me if anybody was listening in it just tells me that somebody could have been listening in and right that's like i guess that's useful but mostly for like forensic purposes not really for like like security, in, I guess, in the moment. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's sort of maybe a, a comparison would be like to receiving a postcard compared to a letter in an envelope that was sealed. Yeah, and yeah, right. yeah. So it's like I got a postcard. So it's like, yeah, I know the mailman could have read it if they wanted to. Um, but yeah, hmm. interesting. Yeah, but speaking of encryption, uh, and 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 the other thing, the whole reason, like you ask. Or you know, people will wonder why is Google wasting time doing this or trying to confuse people or whatever. Um, but I think what they're trying to do is shame the mail providers to turn to start to do more yeah, encryption right. by default. Um, yep, and you know, right. because right. people are going to be asking their mail provider or whatever, so oh, what's what's all this about? Maybe, and and at least that's the hope. Um, yeah. But speaking of encryption, um, we talked about let's encrypt before, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So now they're finally in uh, public beta. Oh, great. Oh, good. And I saw, oh, and I, I did, I did read about this. I saw also that uh, DreamHost is providing uh, Let's Encrypt uh, certs for free uh, to their customers. Mm-hmm. So that's cool. That's kind of nice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, all of the, the, all the Let's, Let's Encrypt stuff. Yeah. That it's all free. Um, I think one of the biggest problems that people are having uh, or, with let's encrypt is it the like the the ca isn't in the browsers yet and you know it's starting to make its way as people are updating their browsers and firefox and chrome and everybody starts uh adding i think it's um 
it's a referential CA. I forget the term for it, but I don't think you're going to see Let's Encrypt as a CA itself, but it's like um, somebody else vouches for them. I see. I see. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Well, but as great. that propagates, that's that's... yeah, it should, it should be fine. Yeah. 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 So you got to love encryption. And, uh, and, and speaking of, uh, uh, we're, we're big friends, friends of transparency, right? We are. We, we enjoy transparency a great deal. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So how would you like to be able to see through walls with Wi-Fi? Yes, please. Sign me up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want, I want yeah. that. I want that power as long as nobody else has that power. Right. Exactly. Only the government has it. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there, there are some guys at MIT. Um, they figured out how to do that. So you could, you could actually. There's some interesting pictures, and and it's very early on in the technology where, um, like they had a, a a picture in the article where you could see that the you could see the guy, and you could see this HD TV like rotated ninety degrees, and you could see this basically like a heat map of the guy. And what's cool is you could see how the um, the the um, Wi-Fi waves were either blocked by him and absorbed, or went around him. And and based upon that, they were able to generate the the color and and see that person. Um, but the thing is, is right now it's only um, it only works well whenever somebody is moving towards and away from the the Wi-Fi point. Like if you're moving side uh-huh. to side, it doesn't do that well. I see. Okay. So, and, and, and so in principle, this isn't really different than like radar or sonar or mm-hmm. like whatever, anything like that. Right. It's just x-ray. Vans. I guess the cool thing, x, x, x-ray vans. I, I guess the, the, the cool thing about it is that it uses the Wi-Fi hardware, which is super cheap. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, potentially you could, uh, commoditize this in a, in an interesting way. Right. Yeah, it could be, a whether it's a, something that's on a, a video game console or, yeah, you know, we're talking the Internet of Things and all that. That'd be fun. But one one of the things I saw in the article is that they they're talking about all the different possibilities of what it could be used for. Um, and they're the first one that came to their mind was for searching uh, collapsed buildings for survivors or in homes to monitor the health of their occupants. Huh? W- would that right. be the first things you would think about what the what the use would be for? No, I think that's a let's call that a, an optimistic outlook on the future of this technology. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so you have a building fall down, you back the truck up that has all the cockroaches on it, and then you have the you turn the Wi-Fi on to have the cockroaches zoom in on where the guy is. Oh, so oh, oh, yeah, yeah. No, okay, yes, I, 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 I see where you're going with that. I, I was thinking more like uh, this is far more likely to be used by like an aggrieved ex-spouse. Uh, than it is by uh, like search and rescue. You know what I mean? Or yeah, well, I would even say not ex-spouse, but uh, law enforcement. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right? right. That's right. Like, there's a big thing. Like, like seriously, you you know about the X-ray vans, right? In New York City. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. So the so instead of having these like big honking like basically uh uh you know these x-ray machines blasting to see through walls and who knows from a health standpoint what that's doing um now people could do it with uh wi-fi and i guess it's healthier <laughs> all right so i should walk around in uh, tinfoil pajamas from now on i guess yeah signal. yeah yep I, uh well i do have some so it, steering away from dystopian this dystopian kind of uh, rut we're in here. I do have some intriguing and interesting uh, technology news. Are you ready? Yeah, yeah, hit me. So, so uh, Estonia, uh, as you know, kind of a famously online country, right? Uh, yes. Like a very well educated citizenry. They vote uh, through web browsers. Everybody's got a um, the national identity card is also people's private key, stuff like that. So, um, they have partnered with uh, with another uh, with one of the. Uh, blockchain companies, I forget which one, but um, they partnered with these companies to create a mechanism whereby somebody can uh, conduct business through the blockchain. Um, and so it's basically, they use the blockchain as a notary service uh, for Estonian citizens. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for example, like you do a contract, uh, birth certificates, uh, marriages, stuff like that. All of that gets kind of encoded in the blockchain. 
um, hmm. which is really intriguing. Um, and so let me read this quote from uh, the, the program director for e-residency um, in, in Estonia. He says, he or she, he says, uh, in Estonia, we believe that people should be able to freely choose their digital public services uh, best fit to them, regardless of the geographical area where they were arbitrarily born. We're truly living in exciting times when nation states and virtual nations compete and collaborate with each other on an international market to provide better governance services. So to link those two things together, because these notary services are provided through the blockchain, they're available to anyone on the planet. So I could actually become an e-resident of Estonia and using the blockchain start having kind of Estonia... Uh, uh, ratify my transactions um, hmm. and they would have the full faith and credit of the Estonian government I guess um, wow. which is just bananas and something that would seem ridiculous I think um, until the advent of the blockchain I think that was like I'm probably terrified about this but I think it's also uh, really pretty cool yeah it sounds like something somebody would do in like uh, Sealand yeah exactly you know i was gonna say it sounds like either like a william gibson or like a neil stevenson novel or something it's uh yeah it's pretty pretty cool yeah pretty cool pretty cool um oh and i got some other uh good news so you know we're, we're dave you and i are fans of uh, whisper systems mm -hmm. uh yeah, the right. folks behind the uh, secure sms uh signal uh app uh well the one thing that's a bummer about signal is that uh, it only works on your phone so you can only type with you know your thumbs um, right. But just like Apple Messages and just like Google Hangouts, uh, Signal just released uh, or is about to release a Chrome add-on, which allows you to get your Signal messages uh, in your web browser right there on your hmm. uh, right there on your desktop. Hmm. Isn't that cool? Nice. So and it's all linked together, where it's like you send something on your like you could have the same conversation on your phone and on your browser, or are they separate? So there, it's apparently it's all synced up. Uh, it is all stored okay. on it is it is all stored on a common server, but of course it's encrypted and all that. It's Whisper Systems after all, and right. all and the server side of it and the client side of it is all open source. Oh wow, hmm. yeah, nice, pretty cool, right? Yeah, and they they uh, don't they have like a tendency to do like really well from a user experience standpoint and making it easy. Yeah, exactly. That's that's their that's their whole thing is they want to uh, they want to make. Uh, being secure and communicating in secure ways as, as as easy as possible. You can, I guess, the best way to think about them is like the anti PGP people. Like PGP has a like notoriously hostile user experience. Um, they right. are trying to head in the other direction and make it, and they're trying to make it easy to do the right thing, which I think is great. So good for them. Right. Nice. Nice. Yeah. 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 And and do do you hear about this blogger that's writing about us? Oh no, I didn't know that. I didn't know we got press. Who is it? Yeah. 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 Jim Whitehurst. Oh, I know that guy. I know that yeah, guy. Yeah. Well, that's cool. Yeah. So, yeah, so wait, our CEO is blogging about us? That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. He wrote a blog post about episode one hundred. Um and talking about the the question uh Paul Smith had us ask about uh how to balance uh how the open organization applies to uh family life. Oh, neat. Okay, and so we'll yeah. put a link to that in the, in the show notes. Right on. That's mm -hmm. great. Nice, nice. Yeah. And then um, the other thing I saw and, and um, is uh, there's this interesting article I saw about, uh, um, it's called Programmers, Let's Earn the Right to be Called Engineers, where I, you know, mm -hmm. I've run into people that have like engineering degrees, and then somebody says, that, oh, well, I'm a software engineer, or I'm an IT architect or something. They just they just like no you're not you're you're not an engineer you're you're not an architect you should not have the title engineer in there because you do not have an engineering degree, um, and it's like and they're very very particular about that where to me it's like okay whatever um, but this article was was pretty compelling where they talk about you know should programmers be called engineers or architects and because engineers are actually accountable like if it, it you know like they get licensed and if the building falls down they could lose their license and and things like that um and and i wonder if the you know the their premise was that if there was more of a certification program that and and where people would be licensed uh would this lead to higher quality code right Right. So the, it's the, the man, there's a lot packed into that, isn't there? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And then the other part is even like open source, right? Of, of like 
how do you know yeah it, where the, yeah. the barrier you don't you, you know, people are writing code you look at the code and not necessarily the person that submitted it yes that's right that's right well and so and this you can actually cut this a bunch of different ways i guess the first thing to do is to usefully distinguish between like um there is the solving for safety and predictability and trust and then there's the solving for innovation right which are not necessarily in conflict but they they require kind of two different roads right so if you're optimizing for innovation and kind of velocity and stuff like that you obviously don't want certifications right you want you know like you say like lowest barrier of entry possible and just have people be evaluated on their merits and all the rest of it and then there's mm -hmm. the other path we'll call it the nasa path which is like i need the certified cathedral. people the cathedral right like certified people right. who are accountable and they're going to go through a rigorous kind of step-by-step -step process to get code approved and, and all this other stuff um and and so i think actually if i was an engineer and if I was an architect, I would probably be kind of bent out of shape because I probably spent a lot of time and not a little bit of money getting getting certified. And I've earned the right to be called an engineer or an architect. And that carries weight in that community. Um, right. And like some 20 year old who dropped out of college calling themselves an engineer uh, seems a little bit cheeky. Right. Seems a little bit. Uh, but I'm, I don't know. So, I mean, it's that's a nice like. Yeah, so that's a nice launching point for that conversation. But in terms of like the actual recommendation of programmers, let's earn the right to be called engineers. Um, I think that it's it's a little bit goofy because like nobody in the industry, nobody in this kind of world that we live in, actually expects engineers to be the equivalent of mechanical engineers or double E's or anything like that, right? Like it, right. it's taken as read that um, that things are a little bit more sloppy on our side. Um, yes. And I don't think anybody would see a software engineer and expect that person to be, you know, licensed and bonded by the city or whatever. Um, right. I think uh, so. Yeah, I don't know. So, but interesting kind of thought experiment. Um, yes. I mean, there have been recommendations like this in the past um, where like the U.S. government, there's been, in fact, we might have even talked about it on the show where the U.S. government, there was legislation that government IT projects need to have developers which were certified to thus and such regime or whatever it was and of oh, course those don't go probably anywhere like capability maturity model and that's probably back yeah, when some, was big yeah 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 stuff like that and and guess what we don't do that and the reason is is because it's hard enough to find programmers right the last thing right. we need to do is like shrink the pool <laughs> and so right. um yeah i yeah i don't know but like i say like that's that that's an interesting launch point for a bunch of kind of introspection about how we treat programmers. That, that's cool. That's great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So um, changing the subject a little bit, there's, there's a, a site that I saw that it's called I write like where you, you go mm -hmm. to it and then you plug in a writing sample and it will tell you what that writing sample um, uh, is very similar to like what famous author writes like that writing sample. And so, oh, fun. yeah, so it's like, I took, I took something that, uh, that I wrote and I stuck it in and it said that, oh, I write like Cory Doctorow and I'm like, okay. <laughs> and it's like, all right, uh, let's, let's, let's get a Gunner article and we'll, we'll get that. And I, it, I took your blog post, uh, it was Annis Mirabilis or something like that. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And, and I stuck it in and, and guess who it came back as? Uh, the, the song of angels. Uh, 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 I, I, no, I don't know. I don't know. The who, Apostle who Paul. No, um, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, uh, HP Lovecraft. That's great. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, I guess it must have been all those Cthulhu references I threw into that article. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Deep Beneath the Sea. What, what Annas Morales? What did I talk about there? Containers, I think. Yeah, so like deep beneath the sea, the containers lie awake and dreaming. <laughs> That's awesome. That's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I encourage everybody to go and stick stick some writing samples in of your own stuff and see who you write like. Um, yeah, yeah. But uh, and then I have uh, uh, as as we wind up here, I I have uh, I got a joke kit for us. Okay, I'm ready. Yeah, yeah. So back in 1944, um, there was a uh, CIA came up with sabotage manual um, that on how to uh, subvert organizations with uh, purposeful stupidity. Oh, I've heard about this. I love this thing. Oh, this is really great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So it's meant as like a uh, 
uh, as like a sabotage manual uh, for like if you're in a, a, a hostile country and you've like you've like worked your way into a factory or whatever. It's like examples of like how to screw them up, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, it, and so you go to this article and you can see the whole manual. It's all declassified now. Um, but there, there was like you go through the list and it's like. Um, one of them is like, uh, bring up irrelevant issues as frequently as possible. Um, haggle over <laughs> precise wordings of communications, minutes, resolutions. Um, <laughs> uh, hold, conference, hold conferences when there's more critical work to be done. Uh, work slowly. <laughs> um, contrive as many interruptions to your work as you can. Um, never pass on skill and experience to a new or less skillful worker. That's awesome. So, That's awesome. So now I can say, like, if I'm in a meeting and somebody starts rat holing, can I call them a terrorist? Yeah. Well, no. You uh, call them a CIA agent. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. And yeah. And and so you know, it's like you look back at all the people you work with in your career, and it's like, hmm, I wonder. And and uh, but then I wonder. It's like if you if you sort of incept this a little bit, and uh, like, what about at the CIA? Do they do this at the CIA? Yeah, that's right. That's right. It's like, I like it. It's like, no, 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 no. I'm not incompetent. I'm just a spy. Yeah. <laughs> that's a t-shirt or a bumper sticker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nice. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, all right, Dave, you ready to start this weekend? Yes. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. So uh, for everybody, if they, if they need to see the knife-wielding tentacle or... Um, uh, the, the, we have some clip-on man buns on sale just in time for Christmas, uh, Christmas um, and, they, and they need to get their uh, all-day hash brown fix. Uh, where, where do we need to send them? Oh, we need to send them to uh, dgshow.org. That's D as in Dave, G as in Gunner, show.org. All right. Well, great. Well, thanks, Gunner. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Yeah, thanks, everyone. <laughs>